0: welcome to the nail in the coffin a special saturday morning edition i'm tom valentino he's travis uli trav how's it going this morning you got your coffee you ready to run
1: it is man it's a beautiful fall weather outside right now oh it's it's a lovely little saturday
0: a a rainy saturday and giving me every excuse i need to not get anything done outside so i'm not going to complain my only regret is that we don't have some better college football to watch today
1: yeah, that's kind of a downer.
0: Not not a great slate, as you and I were talking about here before we started recording. So uh, what, what did you refer to yeah, this as? Get, the get the,
1: the, the this SEC's bye week? The, the bi-week? SEC bye week, yeah. <laughs> um, and the get-in-the-door price for Ohio State game homecoming week um, is like 30 bucks right now because it's supposed to be just dog shit weather down there today. So I imagine that uh, uh, if, if you're one of those people who says, well, I'd go to any game, but I can't afford it. You can afford it today.
0: You're all out of excuses today, so you get your car, get down to Columbus and make it happen. Uh, we're also joined by waiting for next year's Craig Lindell. Craig, good morning. Hi, guys.
2: <laughs> I'm not used to morning podcasting. This is great.
0: Yeah, we aren't either, but, uh, you know, special circumstances. We had to pull out all the stops. Uh, we wanted to do this one because, Craig, you broke a little bit of news yesterday on WFNY that involves us, our, uh, our podcast podcast. It's uh, gonna be part of waiting for next year, Trev. I I feel like we're going to the show. This is uh, the big time.
1: Yeah, we took a big step up here. We're uh, not messing around with the little guys anymore. No, you know
0: what's a, you know what's hysterical
2: is that like it actually doesn't mean anything, and we have no plan.
1: Thanks, Craig. <laughs> Shattering the, 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 our it, dreams
0: here. We're real cool.
2: We're, we're two minutes in. No, oh. it's uh. Let me let me explain it from my perspective, just because like what what waiting for next year has always been is just like a collection of voices. And so when um, when you and I, I got to know you guys um, and, and Tom actually in person, and, and the idea is that we're always looking to add more people who are kind of like in the same genre of Cleveland sports talk as what we do. And you guys definitely fit that category. You're, you're not hot take artists. You guys are kind of PG-13 at worst Um, and, and we kind of have, it seems like we're all kind of going in the same common direction in terms of sports talk and sports commentary. So, um, it just makes sense. And I don't, but the, the, when I say, I don't know what we're doing, I just mean that like your show is not going to change. I don't think. And, uh, or not in any way that it wouldn't have changed organically the way you guys were running it anyway. And I just think it, it leads to more, you know, there may be more WFNY people on this show. You guys will be on the WFNY feed more. We'll we'll share content across there. We'll help each other build audience. And uh, maybe it's the start of the WFNY podcast network or something. I have no idea, but it's just uh, it's just like, hey, I kind of like what you guys do. It sounds and I think you like what we do. So let's just not do it separate. Let's do it in the same lane.
0: Yeah, we are. We're big fans of WFNY. We've had you on our show. Uh, I think it was a little over a year ago, and uh, we've had some of the other waiting for next year guys on. And Battery
2: uh, TD. I linked them all up in the post. Yep. So, yeah. Yep.
0: We uh, saw that and uh, got to share that post out yesterday on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash the nail podcast. And uh, you know, I got a nice response on my personal Facebook page as well. So uh, you definitely have uh, quite the audience within my circle of friends, so that was uh, pretty exciting. Everybody's like, oh, wait, I've, I've heard of them. You guys are actually going to a site I've heard of. This is kind of cool. So um, uh, it was exciting stuff for us. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as you said, it's it's kind of open, and, and who knows where this goes. But um,
2: And what's really cool is if I get a chance to meet Travis in person, I, I will have met him before some other members of Waiting for Next Year. That's It just people don't understand. Like, we don't actually – uh, know each other as well as people probably think like we feel like we do and we talk all the time but uh i'm i still haven't met all the waiting for next year people uh in person over the years so there are no you know, it's, it's an fact. interesting crew
1: yeah you're never gonna meet me i'm not even a real person um so <laughs> you're don't catfishing us yeah yeah exactly
0: oh man you've, you've been running a hell of a ruse on me then for what 20 called, years
1: now <laughs> it's known in the game as the long con um uh,
0: well, you got me hook, line, and sinker. I'm not then. sure
1: exactly what the end goal is here, but uh, yeah, I'm dragging it out as long as I can.
0: Uh, all right. Well, if, if you uh, start trying to run some sort of a pyramid scheme on me, Trev, then I think that might be the end of the nail. Or that, yeah, that'll be the nail know, in our coffin um, for this show. But uh,
1: Interesting investment opportunities.
0: Uh, <laughs> can't wait.
1: You got uh, some like-minded individuals I'd like you to sit down with. Like. <laughs>
0: All right, so as, as Craig started to mention, um, and those of you who have been with us for a while, uh, you'll still be able to listen to us in all the usual places. Still going to be on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. We'll be posting on our website, thenailpodcast.com. Uh, if you're a reader of Waiting for Next Year and you're checking us out for the first time, uh, we've been doing our show since uh, October 2015. We generally do this about once a week, give or take. We try to bring some guests on from time to time. A lot of times it's just uh, Travis and me. Uh, shooting the shit, so to speak, about whatever's going on. Occasionally we'll step out with, uh, an interesting one off topic here or there. Um, you know, and, and just to kind of get into stuff that's going on lately, uh, Craig, I've been listening to, uh, to your shows. Um, you're doing some real interesting stuff now with Channel 3 with uh, Ben Axelrod. And, uh, one of the ones that I, uh, enjoy quite a bit, you kind of, uh, got into this, this uh, concept, this idea you've been pushing uh, the sell the Browns campaign. Can you give us the, the cliff Notes version of that? Yeah. First of all, I'm not
2: delusional enough to think that a man with a hashtag can affect any change. I'm not that stupid. Um, so when I do sell c- hashtag sell the Browns, I know that I'm not really, uh, a- accomplishing anything. It's slacktivism at its worst, but, um, it, as a philosophy, Um, I just woke up one day and I realized that we were having this debate over Sashi Brown or Hugh Jackson and who's more the problem. And now over the course of three regimes or however you want to word it, the one common denominator, the last name is Haslam. And so to to sit there and try and figure out whether it's 35% Hugh Jackson's fault or 47% Hugh Jackson's fault is just really, really stupid. It's, uh. The common denominator is Jimmy Haslam. Um, probably don't have much hope other than a trial in Tennessee that he sells the team. But uh, identifying him as the main problem is the key to hashtag sell the Browns.
0: Well, I was going to say it uh, since you started this, um, we've started to see a, a few more headlines creep out that the long arm of the law is. Uh, might possibly remedy the situation for us it remains to be seen, but uh, I'd like you you extended this on and in, in terms of starting anew the podcast you did this week with uh, I believe it's uh, uh okay pants um in terms of uh, rebranding the franchise as well
2: yeah i I mean it just you know if if uh if we're addicted to five and eleven or worse um and whatever this team was supposed to be when it came back, I feel like we've been sold a bill of goods based on our nostalgia. And, I mean, I, I obviously I love those colors, just like uh, a kid loves the religion they were raised on. Um, but I'm willing to entertain the conversation that uh, just the nuclear option, starting fresh. You know, I even suggested we bulldoze the building in Berea and just move it across town, move it to the East side. I, I don't somewhere else. Just start, start fresh. Cause whatever this team that they brought back, it's never been the Browns. We've always wanted it to be, and we've tried really hard to make it the Browns, but um, it, it certainly has not been anything close to what, you know, I was raised on with uh, Bernie Kozar and Webster Slaughter and those, those folks.
0: Well, if you're bringing the Browns back to the East side, whatever this rebrand redo, uh, reboot looks like, it It better work because I don't need the Browns uh, driving my property values down um, by by proxy <laughs> with my house out here in Painesville. so uh, we've got to be careful here.
1: Yeah, what do we do with Lou Groza Boulevard? Does that stay out there, just like empty, with nothing on it? Or do we have a new Lou Groza Boulevard?
2: I was trying to think of a witty response. Yeah, you um, got
1: nothing. Okay. I,
2: I doubt it's uh, what are we are we changing the name of the team because it can forever remain Lou Groza Boulevard if if we've got the, the Cleveland Bulldogs or something else going on uh, <laughs> on the east side of Cleveland
1: fair enough
0: I would I would take it anything is better than what we have going on right now because it's a, a tire fire on all fronts
2: or actually leave the Browns but the, the the NFL is so into relocation right now give us give us one of those teams relocate the Chargers to the east side of Cleveland and so we'll have the, the, the Cleveland Browns and then the Cleveland Chargers, and we'll be a two-NFL city town.
0: Man, I'll tell you what. If we try to bring the Chargers here to Cleveland, we might get a real fight from everybody in Los Angeles. I don't think they're going to just give up on the Chargers that easily. That is a very <laughs> loyal and, and and diehard fan base that they have built all, there. All
1: 17 of them are going to That's right. And they're
0: kicking and screaming the entire way. So. You know,
2: when I think of football, I think of Los Angeles.
0: Yeah. <sighs> There uh, there is a a non-zero chance that when the Browns play there, what is that, next month, that that soccer stadium where they're playing, just given what we've seen from other Chargers home games that you might see more Browns fans at that game than any game at First Energy Stadium the rest of the year.
2: Let me let me ask you guys this because I was listening to a podcast. It was Richard Deitch and James Andrew Miller, the the guy who wrote the ESPN book and um so he was saying Um, Based on the upcoming NFL contracts, the existing contracts, media rights, he said that if he was an NFL owner, and I don't think he was really kidding, he would be selling that team over the next couple of years. He thinks that we're at peak value, that an NFL team will never be worth more than than what it is today based on those media rights and those revenues. And I'm I tend to agree with them just because, you know, the, the game is surrounded by controversy and I understand the economics of TV. I think I agree with that, too. Um, but I also need to allow the, the uh, you know, the chance that I'm just jaded by the fact that our NFL team is the worst in the league. If if j- as stockbrokers, if you're if you had to short one of the professional sports, w- do you think it's time to short NFL stock as a
0: whole? I would. I mean, because I, I think, I mean, yes, like you, I think my vision is clouded in terms of, you know, they, they you keep hearing these discussions nationally about interest in the NFL, and it's so hard to try to uh, conceptualize that as a Browns fan, because so many Sundays that I watch them, I feel like they exist in a completely separate league. From the rest of the NFL, it's so far removed from the national discussion and the national discourse about the state of the league. I mean, they're they're such a non-factor that it's hard for me to uh, fully grasp the, the state of the NFL. But just anecdotally, and and observing it from from our post here in Cleveland, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you've got a lot of external factors with you know the TV landscape changing, and and we're already starting to see ratings on a lot of Sports and including the NFL, it's kind of starting to level off. Um, but I mean, you got a lot of other factors going against the NFL right now. And I, I think the concussions and CTE are a real big scare. And I think the more we learn about that, it's not going to get better. Um, it, it's, I mean, it, maybe it's not going to completely kill off the game of football, but I don't think it's a stretch to think that whatever football is. Ten or fifteen years from now is not going to be exactly the same as what we're watching right now.
2: Hey Travis, what do you think? You think we peaked? Uh,
1: it's hard to say we peaked when I follow the Browns so closely. Um, <laughs> if, if there's a peak in there, I, I that's depressing as hell. Um, I do think the NFL. It was
2: Kelly head. Holcomb against the Steelers.
1: <laughs> those those were the oh, the days of yore. Um, I personally, it's it sort of obviously we're sort of biased because we follow the Browns so closely and I absorb so much like local stuff as well as the national stuff that I don't know that I have a great feel on it. I don't know that I necessarily trust my own opinion on the matter. Um, also Tino and I NFL is a distant fourth to basically the the other sports does. So in general, we've been of the mindset that the NFL is not really that great for a while now anyways. Um, I think the one thing that's sort of keeping the NFL going is TV because I think the TV product is so much better than the live product that those while well, the TV in general, I think they're starting to think that that might not make as money as it does now. It, it, it's also made them look bad on the attendance front because there's not as many people going to games. LA is a perfect example. Um, but I don't know that LA would get people there either way. Well, is there uh,
0: some, someone who's a, a, faithful watcher of Maction on weeknights, I've discovered there are certainly ways you could shoot games on TV that don't shine a glaring spotlight on the stands and uh, the fans and lack thereof so if uh, (laughs) attendance is we we can work around that on television but go on. Yeah,
1: yeah, but no, personally I've never been a huge NFL fan in general. Um, I enjoy it enough. I've always preferred college football for the most part. Um and I've always sort of been beating the drum, like, why are people so into the NFL? Um, so people are starting to realize that, it doesn't surprise me at all. And, yeah, I think it probably is going to have a bit of a dip. Now, whether that's a permanent dip or not, I don't know. But I think um, I think they're probably lining up for a few years of disappointment.
0: All right. Um, I would encourage everybody to go read uh, Craig's stuff on Waiting for Next Year um, about the Sell the Browns campaign. And um, I would also encourage you to go listen to the the podcast that he did this week uh, and the Waiting for Next Year podcast uh, with the the rebrand the Browns. I don't know why it's so hard for me to keep saying that. It's like a tongue twister or something, but um, good podcast, uh, as always, from Craig. Um, Shifting gears to uh, a team that is um, less of a tire fire, although not entirely smooth sailing, Uh, the Cavs. I, I went down to the queue last night, got to see my first game in person of the season, uh, Trav, you and I have talked a little bit about the Cavs here and there, but I wanted to do a little bit more of a, a deep dive here today. And uh, what what kind of got me inspired on this was uh, everything I had to read on Friday morning about the Celtics suddenly um, being declared the the new team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Um, I'll start with you and Craig. I want you to weigh in on this as well. What what are you buying or selling the Celtics?
2: Um buying or selling them is what is the favorites in the East I'm selling that um I think I think this team is way better than I want them to be the Celtics uh I think the young guys plus Kyrie Irving spells doom for the Cavaliers in the future I just don't think it's this year um I'm really not concerned about this year um for all I know LeBron won't be here next year uh and I'm not trying to be that guy. I'm just realistic enough to know that I have no idea what LeBron's going to do next year. But for this year, no, I'm not buying the Celtics or better. I think they're really hot right now. I think they're an exciting team. Uh, if I was a Celtics fan, I'd be really excited about the future. But I I, I think that uh, very much like the, the Celtics of last year disappeared in the playoffs. I think they're too young. I, I just don't see them um, rolling through the playoffs with this roster, um, not this year.
1: Trev, how about you? Yeah, I, I echo it completely. I think it's a bit premature. We're getting a little amped up because they, uh, you know, they're on obviously a great run right now to start the season. Um, but I think they're young. They're going to hit, there's going to be a point in the season where they hit a wall and have some struggles. And I know it's sort of an easy cop out, but until further notice, the East belongs to LeBron. Um, I don't I don't see that changing this year. Obviously it's gonna run out eventually, but I don't I think we're a little premature to say that that time is now.
0: And I think the thing for me is there's one thing I've come to understand about the NBA. I think it does a better job of selling storylines better than any of the other leagues and, and drama. And you see just what a circus and an adventure the off season and all the player movement has become. And the overarching dominant storyline of the eastern conference has been lebron i mean he has owned the east he's been in the finals seven straight years now and um you know whether it was with miami or now again with the Cavs, uh it just feels like you know you can only sell the idea of lebron as the dominant force so many times before people are going to say how many times do i want to read that story so there's this rush i feel like to any time you get uh even a glimmer of hope that there's a new team on the block that could dethrone lebron that they get pumped up and and they get pushed and and trumped up uh, way more than necessarily needs to be the case you know we saw it with indiana when lebron was in miami we saw it with the hawks uh lebron's first year back here oh they got 60 plus wins they got four all-stars they had their what was it their entire starting lineup was the singular uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Month at one point that season, which still remains ludicrous to me even uh, several years later. Uh, we've seen it with the Celtics last year. Um, I'm, I, I, yeah, they're they're red hot right now, but uh, I'm, I don't know. I'm like you guys, I'm hesitant to buy into the idea that they're suddenly, they've arrived and, and it's their conference to lose at this point. Um, especially uh, when you look at the fact that we still have not, Seeing the Cavs at full strength, um, I, I, in a, in an ideal scenario, Isaiah Thomas is going to be a pretty big part of the picture here,
1: right? You would think so, right? I mean, they're go- they're gonna need yeah they're gonna need a second score, um, third score whatever you want to call them. Um, they definitely I don't know if they really need the offense because if you look at their offensive production right now, it's pretty damn good, but um, you have to imagine that they're you know planning to make him a major part of what they do while their their woes right now seem to be more on the defensive end and that's certainly not his strong suit um understatement of the show here um yeah they have to factor him in right
0: i i would think so craig um i have a lot of thoughts about the point guard position in general for the Cavs right now but um anything that you wanted to chime in with here before i I get rolling again (laughs) Well, yeah,
2: it's it's Isaiah Thomas. And on top of that, it's the fact that the Cavaliers have never looked opening the season the way they've looked starting the playoffs in the first X number of, you know, however many years LeBron's been back. Um, And so the the, it's Isaiah Thomas It's also that Brooklyn pick. uh, It's not even the Brooklyn pick. It's it's other deals that they could make. Um, Wild things happen in the NBA Guys get cut. Guys ring chase towards the end of a season, and I, I think we're going to see uh, a lot of different things happen. I mean, we haven't even knock on wood, um, you know, we haven't seen a, a whole host of injury news that's thrust somebody in into the spotlight, and then all of a sudden, you know, we find out that uh, Zizic is going to is going to be a player or something. There are just all kinds of things that happen over the course of a season. Um, to your point, though, like where we look for other teams to talk about. When was the last time somebody talked seriously about the Golden State Warriors? Like they're boring. They're so good and they're so uh they're so assumed to be the champs that we just kind of pass them over, you know? And and I think that's a lot of what LeBron deals with.
0: That's exactly exactly right. It's just kind of a given. Well, they're the team to beat. We know their story now. We know all their faces. They they haven't really had any significant roster turnover. I think they tweaked a couple guys at the end of their rotation. Um, they got, they got what, uh, Omri Caspi did they bring in? And, and one other guy names escape me at this point, but I mean, you know, all the, the familiar players for them. So yeah, their story has been told and there's really nothing that they're going to be able to do at this juncture of the season. That's going to turn any heads that they haven't done uh, at this point in the past. But um, you know, I wanted to spend a few minutes just talking about the cast point guard situation um, I, I was also All right, t- Jose Jose Calderon go uh, well okay <laughs> they they derailed my momentum on this a little bit by actually dusting uh, dusting him off and putting him on the floor last night I did a double take when we finally saw him because they were finally literally left with no other options when Shump tweaked his knee but uh, it it is just driving driven me nuts that uh, I mean obviously when Kyrie forces their hand and demands a trade and makes it clear that it's going to be completely untenable to keep him on the roster here Uh, going forward. um, They're behind the eight ball, and I get that. But um, when you have limited options in terms of what you can do with your offseason and limited moves that you can make, to go out and sign Jose Calderon on the very first day of free agency Um was baffling to me the day it happened, and it has remained baffling to me ever since, especially when you consider the dominoes that uh, fell uh, in the ensuing weeks and months. Uh, Richard Jefferson is not on the Cavs anymore, and I think by all accounts he was a very well-liked guy within the locker room, and Calderon still is. And until last night, when they had literally no other options at point guard, he could not even get on the floor. And I, I just I wonder is that stubborn pride is of the front office? Is it uh why? I, I don't understand what's happening there and it, it just strikes me as incredibly bizarre that um we're still in that situation.
1: Yeah, I don't really know that we have much visibility in what the long term plan is. Obviously with Derek Rose and Isaiah Thomas out, you think those are two guys that they were counting on or are counting on later in the season being present, but um yeah, I'm with you. I don't know that they're in a great position right now with it. I don't know that there's much disputing that. Um, but I don't really know what they can do to fix it. The, the Calderon move, we agreed at the time, like it seemed weird that they just kind of jumped on him and signed him right away. Um, well, there's really nothing we can do about it at this point.
0: No, there were and it just, there were other options available at that time and there are other better options available, <clears throat> excuse me, now. So, um, his continued employment here, I I'm, I scratched my head, which actually kind of leads me into the, the point number two. And you, you mentioned Derek Rose, Trav, um, Craig. Who was it? Was it Jeff on uh, on waiting for next year who had the awesome post this week with charting every single assist that Derek Rose has had this year, including video. Um, I, it was it was so well done. I loved it, and yeah, it was one of those things where you know if you want to break down somebody's assists with all video with all the videos for one game. And, uh, you know, he was here. Here are the 12 assists that, that he had. Um, that's great. That's really uh, awesome and, and something different. But when you stop and realize, no, no, this is all 12 assists that he's had for the entire season and we're a yeah, month into the campaign, uh, horrifying. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. And by the way, though, we got into a discussion about Jose Calderon last night on Twitter. And I think we all decided that that. That deal was made right after Griff was gone, and um, and Kobe Altman was still just the assistant. And Dan Gilbert wanted Jose Calderon from from everything we hear. So that basically, that was Dan Gilbert's move.
0: Uh, getting your owner involved in personnel decisions more often than not is a recipe for a disaster. But um, so,
2: but um, no, I, I the when when you come into a season and your plan at point guard. Is Derek Rose and Jose Calderon? It's like a, a very opposite version. I, I know I'm kind of a Browns first guy, but it's like when your quarterback plan is is Kaiser, Kessler, and Hogan, you know, your point guard plan is the old version of that. You know, Derek Rose and Jose Calderon, like that it's just no was Jeff McInnis busy? Like what <laughs> wow. are you doing?
0: <laughs> Bimbo Coles, uh <laughs>
1: If you had odds on a Jeff McInnes reference on this podcast, you just made a lot of money.
0: Yes, Eric Snow? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, well, um, if it's possible, Derek Rose has shot worse than Eric Snow so far this year. Um kind of, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, I pull no punches here, folks. Um, Thanks. Yeah, but uh, no, it, there's a weird culture of Derek Rose stands online and – You know, with with our uh, modest uh, audience that we've had, we've mostly steered clear of that. And um, with uh, the the new folks that uh, hopefully are going to start checking us out, or maybe they're listening to us for the first time, they'll creep into our mentions. Um, But uh, it it baffles me that there is a a a group out there who will just blindly defend him and still think that that Derrick Rose in twenty seventeen is the Derrick Rose of 2011. And I I just, I don't understand that, that culture at all.
2: Oh, you need to, it's a very NBA thing. And uh, I didn't mean to jump in before Trav, but the, the idea is that the NBA has all these fans that they're not like team fans. Uh, The perfect example is the one time I I told everybody behind the scenes at waiting for next year. The one time I I went to, I was at Aurora farms walking around um, and like six, kids six boys uh, 13 14 15 that age range walking around they all have different jerseys on you know and one of them is like a kobe jersey the other one is like a derrick rose jersey like all across the nba these aren't Cavs fans these are nba fans they they go to a personality and i think derrick rose had a bunch of those types of fans all around the country when he was an mvp candidate when he was battling lebron through chicago and uh, and, and you know, old habits die hard. And so there are a lot of of just Derrick Rose fans, not even Bulls fans, not Knicks fans, just Derrick Rose fans.
0: I don't understand that with Derrick Rose in particular. I, I think what you're saying is 100 percent right. And I think it kind of speaks to the way the NBA has done a great job of marketing its individual stars. Um, and, and I think another symptom of that, that player movement that we see over the summer every year <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but uh, D- Derek Rose in particular. I mean, I'll admit there are individual players on other teams that I like quite a bit, and you know, it's something I've had to wrestle with a lot with seeing Kyrie Irving going and playing for the Celtics of all teams. Like, if Kyrie Irving was playing for literally, I think, any other team besides the Celtics or the Warriors this year, I, I would have no problem continuing to to follow him and and you know, cheer for his success. And everything else, but uh, on the Celtics, that's that's a real quandary for me personally. But um, Derek Rose, I just I don't see what it is in his game that would be attractive to say like this is the guy that I'm going to rally around. Unless you were somebody in that twenty to 10, uh, 2010, 2011 range who was kind of suffering from LeBron fatigue and just looking for any alternative.
1: Well, I think a lot of people were have have been suffering from LeBron fatigue over <clears throat> the last I don't know six, seven, eight years. Um, because let's be honest, and I, I know I've beaten this drum a few times, LeBron should be the MVP every year. And the only reason he isn't is because people want to vote for someone else, except for maybe the first Steph Curry one. I'll, I'll give him that one. He deserved that one. Um, but if we're being honest with ourselves, there's no one more valuable in the league to any team at any time than LeBron, and it's not really that close. Um, the only reason other people are winning it is because the voters are sick of voting for LeBron every year. Um, I think fans are probably sick of voting or sick of, you know, having to admit that LeBron's the best player. And in fairness, a few years ago, Derrick Rose is a pretty exciting player. He's not a big guy. He's sort of got that sort of the same reason people, I think, jump on Steph Curry because he's he looks like more of a normal guy. He's not huge, super athlete guy, but he did a lot of exciting things. And, you know, despite his smaller stature in a league that's normally dominated by Giants, he did some awesome stuff. So, people, I could see pretty easily why people would get on that. And historically, I think the Bulls are a pretty, you know, interesting franchise that people get behind. So, it didn't surprise me why people would get behind him then. Why people would still be behind him is pretty baffling to me, though.
0: Old habits die hard. Um, right. Trevor, I, I, I think you're right in terms of what you're saying about, you know, if people in other cities are sick of LeBron, um, at the same time, one of the things that I always think is really cool when the Cavs are playing a road game is just listen to the crowd when LeBron does LeBron things. It it It's one of my favorite things you can hear. There is a a very much like the show is in town, the, the big time, the big superstar. Um, there's just this unusual pop and he gets it. Uh, it's always been kind of a thing in New York and he's always had kind of a a uh, back and forth with the fans at MSG. And when they had that game on, what was that, Monday night, um, that was just a classic uh Le- LeBron performance, Um especially with the big comeback in the second half. But even the game against the Hornets in Charlotte, and a couple of the dunks and just the, ooh, and you, you hear it's – People might want to say they're sick of him, but deep down when they see him in person and he lights up their team, there's there's still a little bit of, of shock and awe. And um, I can tell you, I went to a playoff game up in Detroit that the Cavs played in 06. So this was before we got to peak LeBron. This was the first year he was in the playoffs. So it was before it was the season before they won their first Eastern Conference. And they ended up losing the series and they lost the game that I was at. But even at that point, you could sense a palpable tension in the building every time he touched the ball. And um, anybody listening, if you can find a way to get to a Cavs road game this year, um, I guess you're always kind of rolling the dice in terms of, you know, players that are, are possibly sitting out and things like that. But if you can experience a LeBron road game, I would highly recommend it um, as a Cavs fan. Um, it, it's, it's an awesome experience. Um, shifting gears i wanted to talk a little bit more uh about uh some of the other uh, new faces that we've seen on the team um jay crowder uh i gotta be honest a few nights ago um got i got to the point i said i was ready to schedule him with the meeting with the bob or schedule him for a meeting with the bobs from office space because i just was starting to wonder you know what is it that you do here but uh um, I don't know I'm, I'm starting to feel like uh, maybe maybe he's coming into a, a role here and maybe uh, starting to kind of fit in um, Craig I'll, I'll start with you uh, the Jay Crowder experience are, are you in or out
2: I mean I'm I'm in but I think that uh, he's been largely overrated by Cavs fans in the in the offseason and so I'm not surprised to see him struggle a little bit to to find his footing and um, and find a role in this Cavaliers team because I just uh, like I I he's the kind of guy where I, I think I know where his ceiling is. And it seems like a lot of Cavaliers fans were confused about where his ceiling is. And he's just he's a slightly better Shump, I think. Um, and maybe that's controversial. Maybe people think I'm crazy, but he's somewhere better than Shump and not as valuable as J.R. Smith, I think. Uh, and I don't, I don't know for a team that values Tristan Thompson, the way we do, it gets confusing, I guess, but, um, that's kind of where I always felt he was. And so it's not his, the, the, the Jay Crowder experience has not surprised me so much.
0: All right. I will say the, the one thing that I kind of had to take a step back, I think it was, it was either Lloyd or McMenamin who put out a story just kind of talking about Jay Crowder, being uh, Week and a half ago, or so, and it just kind of spelled out everything that he's been through since he got traded. I mean, I think his mom passed away the day that he got traded. Um, That's obviously awful. Um, And then he comes to Cleveland, new team. um, It's a very different experience. I think learning to try to play with LeBron. Um, So that that's obviously an adjustment in and of itself. And then the other thing, his role has really kind of yo-yoed for various reasons uh, whether it was uh, you know him starting next to Kevin Love uh, as a you know playing power forward or it's coming in off the bench and playing some small forward um, and then you know Tristan Thompson's out of the lineup for a while and then maybe playing with Tristan a little bit and it it's just it's a lot of things and I mean it's part of the NBA life and you got to kind of just you know work your way through it but when you take all that stuff together um, in addition to the the, the personal uh, you know stuff that he had happen over the summer it, that's a lot to take in and it would I think spell a you know kind of go a long way towards explaining just um where he's been to start the year. And and I, I'm, I'm not convinced that we've seen all that we can see out of Jay Crowder yet. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to uh, give this more time and, and let him settle in more and, and kind of let the rest of the team settle in and, and get some roles more clearly defined. Travis, did you have any thoughts on Jay Crowder?
1: Yeah, I honestly think we probably expected a lot more from him um i think when the trade happened obviously the number one pick was a big deal but i think people were more looking forward to jay crowder than they were isaiah thomas um because he kind of seemed to fill that we all thought he was gonna fill that role and be like a great piece and let's be honest this is the way we should look at it look at it is how will he help us beat the warriors um And we also saw this guy who's like long and can defend all these different positions and be a great weapon against the Warriors. And it hasn't shown up at all yet, obviously. Um, I think there's probably a lot of questions now about was his success or, you know, was his performance so closely tied into Brad Stevens system in Boston that it just doesn't really translate to what the Cavs are doing. I don't know, but I think, um, I have to think that right now they haven't – I don't know if they – either they haven't figured out how to use him or he's just not the right piece. It's one of the two, um, I think, and obviously it could change and it could get better. But I think right now he just looks like a guy who isn't doing the things he's comfortable doing. Um, So if they really want to maximize him, they kind of got to figure out a way to use him better, I think.
0: Well, the other thing that – you mentioned the fact that he came over in the trade, and I think that's probably playing a a big role in this in terms of fan perception – is as of right now he's really the only thing that we have to show for trading away Kyrie Irving. I mean, you're not going to get you're not going to reap the benefits of the Brooklyn pick until next summer unless you turn around and trade that pick at some point during this season, which is a whole separate discussion, but at least for now that's an asset to be used on another day. And you also got Ante Zizic who's Uh, a project. I mean, he's not somebody that you're plugging in and really playing any sort of meaningful minutes right now. And Isaiah Thomas hasn't gotten to play yet. So as you're seeing the Celtics racing out uh, five games ahead of the Cavs in the standings uh, a month into the year and winning 14 games in a row. And all we have to show for it is a guy who may or may not be a starter for us. uh, That probably contributes a lot to the, the frustration as well.
1: Really quick. Um, You mentioned it. We mentioned it a couple of times. That number one pick, not number one necessarily. We don't know. But that lotto pick from Brooklyn. Does anyone, are we thinking we want to move that for someone this year? Or does it seem like it should probably be sort of an untouchable asset, especially with all the uncertainty around LeBron? Does anyone say, yeah, we should go out, use it, and and try to get someone now?
0: Craig, I'm going to let you take that one first.
2: Oh, man. It's such a tough one. Uh, It's like, it's like asking me a financial question. Um, you know, should I save for retirement or should I buy a Porsche? And like, I know that I should save for retirement, but damn it. I really want to buy a Porsche. I know I'm I'm 30. I'm 38. Like I'm due for my midlife crisis. Oh no. I, I think I err on the side of using it. I think, uh, having LeBron here is once in a lifetime. And, and if it just it comes down to which which move makes it more likely he stays here and i think the the best chance of of setting the cavs up to have him stay here for the for the remainder is not to use it on a rookie in the draft but is to use it to bring in somebody who's hopefully got a longer useful shelf life uh, as a star in the nba than lebron does so somebody who's under the age of 30 even just by a little bit um, but has a proven track record of being a really great player. If, if the Cavaliers can use that pick to make that kind of a move, um, I think they need to use it to, uh, to invest in this year.
0: My answer on this is, I think, <clears throat> number one, we need to see what this team looks like at full strength to figure out just what is the most glaring need. And then we need to see who's actually available. I think you're going to see more guys become available. There's that magic date in the middle of December where anybody who was signed in the off season is now eligible to be traded, and that's kind of when the NBA trade market really starts turning um, from there until early February at the deadline. So um, I'm not in the camp of, well, you got to trade it for anybody who's going to be able to... You know, I'm not trading that pick during the season just for the sake of trading it to bring in a guy uh, it has to be, if you're going to trade that during the season this year, it, it has to be for somebody who's going to be an uh, a unquestioned, over-the-top, no-doubt difference-maker um, type player, and, and maybe that uh, maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe that guy doesn't exist on the trade market. Um, I also I, I, I think there could possibly be some value in using that pick in the offseason um, in a lot of the same way that um, the pick that became Andrew Wiggins uh, when LeBron came back um, in 2014, you know, the, the way that pick ended up being used where you draft somebody in that position and then having the asset of this top player um, and being able to flip him uh, to you know go out and get a guy in the summertime, um, I, I think there could be a, a lot of value in that in terms of trying to sell LeBron on Uh, future roster construction. I mean, if you could come up to him in the summer and say, Hey, we've we got, I mean, it's no longer this vague pick. Now, all of a sudden it's an actual guy. It's an actual uh, prospect that another team might covet and have the assets that they'd be willing to move to bring in. Whereas we you know, we flipped Andrew Wiggins to bring in Kevin Love to form a, a big three in 2014. Maybe that sort of thing can play out again this summer. And maybe that's a selling point to trying to convince LeBron, um, to, to stick here, uh, past, uh, you know, this year, um, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I was just gonna say, I've, I've obviously not done a ton of scouting, but it sounds like this, uh, this year's draft could be a juggernaut. Like there could be a ton of top, like top level guys. And you, like, even if this Nets pick ends up being like three or four or five or something like that, um, you can still get a guy who, is is going to be a really good player for a long time, um, so I do think there's some value to that um, when it comes to training because I think this looks like a much deeper draft than maybe we've seen the last couple of years. So um, obviously, time will tell what they do with it. But
0: I'm not worried um, about us drafting uh, five because we're going to send Tony Rizzo and and Nick Gilbert to the uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, for the lottery drawing, and we'll be I'm in good sure shape.
1: Rizzo's not allowed back at the draft.
0: <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly, can we send him?
1: There's more places in town than need to enact that policy for the record. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, I'm going to leave it at that. Um, all right, other, other new faces. I, I have to admit, I'm pleasantly surprised by Jeff Green. Um, people who know the NBA better than I do um, were bemoaning the signing of Jeff Green over the summer and were telling me he was either washed up or he was never any good to begin with. I, I got to be honest. Uh, Craig, I'll start with you here. Uh, I feel like for the role he has been asked to play, he's been kind of great.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a bit surprised, too. Uh, he's a guy, I, I never played fantasy basketball, so he's a guy I kind of knew nothing about. I missed the early part of his career. I missed the middle part of his career. I, I, I really didn't know anything about that guy. Um, and unlike other uh, shows and other sports properties, I'm not afraid to admit that like i basically had zero knowledge of of him before he got here so everything was a pleasant surprise to me
1: trev how are you feeling about jeff green it's hard to i mean it's hard to not like what you've gotten out of him i don't know that there was really super high expectations to begin with um because we were hearing either a he's not good or he's not good anymore um you were you were kind of thinking, you know, if he can contribute, give you some good minutes here and there, that's that's great, and that's what he's giving you, and then some. So, um, I, I'm kind of with Greg. Like, I don't I don't know a ton about about you know what he was before because he was never really that big of a name. Um, so it's hard to be disappointed by what you're getting out of him. Cause you really shouldn't have expected much to begin with
0: yeah, dust off at old gin blossoms lyric here. If you don't expect too much from me, you might not be let down. So uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we were pulling them out to
0: Um, last guy I wanted to talk about Dwayne Wade, uh, numbers. I mean, he looked great last night. Uh, got a, got a little bit of old school Dwayne Wade with drawing a ton of fouls and getting to the line a lot. Um, still just surreal for me to go to the queue and see Dwayne Wade in a Cavs uniform. Uh, I I just can't get used to it no matter how often I've seen it on, you know, I've watched pretty much every game on TV, but just being there in the arena and, you know, hearing Dwayne Wade and the crowd going nuts. It's uh, I, I, I shake my head in disbelief, but uh, he was good last night. And I know his numbers overall, maybe not overwhelming and uh, not what he was at, at uh, prime Dwayne Wade, Ten years ago or so, but uh, I I still feel like uh, he's been better than his numbers would suggest on a lot of nights, and uh, find a way to make some plays in crunch time. And um, you know, the other thing with him, I I feel like anything we're getting from him at this point in the season is kind of a bonus because you don't if you're the Cavs and you're in the position where they are in terms of contention, I, Dwayne Wade's not a guy you're signing for November. You're signing him for those games in in May and June. And uh, uh, early returns, though, I, I, I like it, especially since he's kind of settled into the bench role. Well,
2: and yeah. honestly, the, the thing I'm sorry, Trav, the, the thing that you're really signing him up for um, are those playoff games. And just like small spurts, you need him to hold court for like four, five minutes during the playoffs, like four or five minutes per game. You need him to be Dwayne Wade. And that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. You You're not looking. You don't really care about what he does until, you know, probably April or May. He's kind of the the microcosm of this team where we watch all season and we're like, eh, let's just see what happens in the playoffs with him. You're, you're, you're saving him. He shouldn't really be playing a whole lot of minutes anyways. Um, but you do obviously want to get him comfortable and have him, you know, sort of establish what his role is. And when he, uh, when he went to the bench, I thought that was a great move. And, uh, because like, like Craig said, that's what you're going to need from him. He's got to do, um, when you know when LeBron goes to the bench, Dwayne Wade needs to go out there, uh, eat up some minutes, um, keep keep the game where it is, not let it get away. We saw that happen a couple times last year, where the bench would come, you know, the second uh, second group would come out, and you'd be like, "Well, what the hell? They got to get LeBron back in. They're gonna this game is gonna get away from them quickly. quickly." Um, you have to hope that Dwayne Wade is sort of a band-aid for that, and when those when those instances come up, that. He plugs in and keeps sort of just treads water, you know, keeps the game exactly where it is so that when uh, LeBron and the first guys come back in, they can you know, stretch it back out and, and close the game out for him. So I think that's what I don't know that I, it, it's hard to look at Dwayne Wade like that because, you know, he's he's a Hall of Famer. And for a long time, he was one of the you know, top four top five, six best players in the league. Um, and that's obviously not what he is anymore. Uh, and the fact that he's he's sort of embracing that role, I think, is kind of cool. Um, I don't know that I expected it um, to come as easily as it did.
0: I I would agree with that. I think that's a really good point. Um, And I think probably giving him the courtesy start at uh, the beginning of the season, just to kind of experience it firsthand that, hey, it's going to make a lot more sense for you. I think a lot of us were scratching our heads. Hey, this is probably not where we need him to be um, in the starting lineup. But, uh, you know giving him that courtesy, it it probably helped with the transition of the bench. And it seems like he's buying into this role. And um, I, I I like the returns last, last, last guy. I want to talk about Um, not one of the new guys. We had him last year. Uh, I like him a lot and I'm glad he's back with us again this year. Kyle Corver, the, the, the Mr. Uh, fourth Corver phenomenon has become fascinating Uh, to watch. What's ahead.
1: We're going to try to force that one.
0: I, I, you know what? I I think uh, Alex Hooper, I've yeah, was the first person I saw it, uh, start that, but uh, I like it. It's fourth Corver in the land, believe yeah. land. Ugh, <laughs> yuck. I'm shameless. I like it, and I'm not sorry, and I won't apologize. Yeah,
2: buy the t-shirt.
0: That's right. <laughs> is there any companies in Cleveland that sell t-shirts? I don't. I don't know. Is that I, I, a thing? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Who's, who's going to have that first, or is it already out?
0: Oh, if there's not like seven of those available by now then y'all are slipping out there but um well
1: the one guy's running from for mayor or something right so he can't uh (laughs) it's probably i think that's
0: wrapped up so he can get back into the into the uh the shirt production but um no i I, the the one thing i have to say about Corver and keep an eye on this i'm sure it's going to level off through the rest of the year um i don't know who's the first person to point this out but it's absolutely unbelievable to me the difference in Corver's shooting when LeBron is on the floor versus when LeBron is not on the floor. As of, uh, I think, earlier this week, uh, Kyle Corver's three-point shooting numbers with LeBron on, I think he was over 50%. And with LeBron off, shooting three, from three-point range, he was around 15%.
1: How 15% just seems low because he's such a damn good shooter. You'd think no matter what, he'd always be a little higher than that. It doesn't surprise me at all that his percentage is considerably higher when LeBron's on the floor, though. That, that is a
0: huge gap. But I was going to say, this is a, a recent phenomenon. It, this was not, I looked at the numbers last year. It was not nearly that kind of a split, but... I don't know if it's just the other guys in the rotation that uh, ended up getting, you know, put into those lineups that he's playing with uh, when LeBron's sitting. But um, just let's see what
2: happens when Isaiah Thomas gets back, because I bet his percentage will be similar, similar playing with with another star. I think he's just he's the guy who thrives off a bunch of attention being paid to somebody else.
0: Yes, I, I would agree with that. Um it's fun to watch him especially if you're if you're in person just watch the way he runs off of screens and i just feel like if he would be the kind of guy that would just be an enormous pain in the ass to try to guard if you're on the other team um he moves without the ball as well as any guy i've seen in a Cavs uniform in a long time um so to your point uh when you get somebody else on the floor who can draw a lot of attention and kind of tilt the floor uh, that way with the defense, um, you can see how having a guy like like Corver who can run off a bunch of screens and and you know make that C cut around and, and curl up and shoot for a three, at uh, you can see how that would be effective. But um, yeah, it, it'll be fun to see just what the lineup start looking like when they plug Isaiah in here. Hopefully, uh, maybe within a month from now. Um, my birthday is four days before Christmas. If if the Cavs can give me the present of uh, a competent, healthy point guard uh, for my birthday, um, I'd be delighted. So, um, that's that that's the goal for me.
2: I'm still hoping for Jeff McGinnis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That, I think, is a perfect note to wrap up on. Uh, Trav, did you have anything else before
1: we uh, shut it down? (laughs) No, I think that's, I think Jeff McInnes is a great note to close with.
0: Uh, You are not going to do any better than that. Craig, uh, this was fun. Thanks for jumping on with us here this morning, and uh, thanks for bringing us into the fold with uh, waiting for next year. We're really excited about it, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun going forward here. Yeah, dudes, it's going to be a lot of fun.
2: I'm not sure exactly where it's going, but uh, we'll do it together. It'll be cool.
0: All right. Um, well, in the meantime, you, uh, if, if you checked out our show today for the first time and you like what you heard, uh, go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play. Uh, you'll be able to start listening to us on Waiting for Next Year. Um, still be putting up our episodes on uh, thenailpodcast.com, but go to Waiting for Next Year because you're going to get all the other great stories and uh, videos and everything else that they're putting up on there. Um, you can like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thenailpodcast, and we are on Twitter, uh, at The Nail Podcast. Um, although, if you uh, want to get more uh, from Trav and I uh, individually, uh, I'm at one Tom Valentino. Trav, uh, share your, uh, your handle as well.
1: Yeah, at Cool Trav. At
0: Cool Trav, there it is. So, uh, our thanks again to uh, Craig Lendl for joining us. Um Trav's Julie, I am Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we will talk to you again soon.
1: The Korean War has sadly been known as the Forgotten War. But half a century earlier, the United States was locked in a bloody conflict in Asia that's been all but erased from the history books. Hi, I'm Alex Hasty, the host of Ohio vs. the World, an American history podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. In our newest episode, we speak to experts about the Philippine-American War, America's first Asian counterinsurgency conflict. The heroes, the villains, we'll discuss President McKinley, Admiral Dewey, the vicious brutality, of the fighting, and the scandals and war crimes that nearly sunk Theodore Roosevelt's presidency check out our show ohio versus the world on the evergreen podcast network for our new episode about america's most forgotten war now back to the show